You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticamp. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I am your host, Josh Raley, and I hope you are as fired up as I am today. Man, it is uh, middle of August here. It is my daughter's birthday today, actually. My youngest daughter just turned five, and uh, one, I'm fired up about that. We got to celebrate her today. Got a big old... Uh, Chick-fil-A cup sitting here next to me from our uh, birthday dinner with her. That was her uh, food of choice, of course. A five-year-old wants chicken nuggets for her birthday dinner. But I am also fired up because deer season is like a month away, and I cannot wait. I'm going to be in the woods uh, probably the weekend of September 9th, 10th, somewhere in there here in Georgia for the opener. It's probably going to be miserable, but uh, it's opening day. So what do you do? It's kind of just one of those things. You got to get out. You got to get in the woods. You got to knock the rust off a little bit, right? Got to make sure or got to figure out what all I lost from last year, what all I need to to buy again, what all I need to change up, what all gear was broken or not working or whatever was frustrating me last year. I've certainly forgot about it now as I look at this season uh, that's upcoming through rose-colored glasses. But we are drawing ever closer to my absolute favorite time of the year and I cannot wait and along those lines I have my buddy Dan Johnson from the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast and the Hunting Gear podcast you might know him as the emperor of the Sportsman's Empire podcast network he keeps all of us rascals uh, corralled together and pulling in the same direction when it comes to our podcasts and all of our content Uh, Dan was on the show and I wanted to have him on to talk about gear Dan's a guy he's been in the hunting industry uh, for like 17 years at this point. He has talked to a lot of people in that time. He has worked with a lot of brands in that time. He has bought a lot of gear during that time. And he probably has more hunting gear than almost anybody else that I know. So I wanted to get Dan on and talk about his gear for the upcoming season, not only for the Whitetail Woods, which he's obviously going to be hunting there in Iowa during the rut this year, but he also likes to head west earlier in the season. So I wanted to pick his brain a little bit about some of the most important pieces of gear for him when it comes to hunting out west. No surprise, we spend some time talking about boots, we talk about packs, we talk about glass, we talk about the value of good base layers, Uh, just an all-around good gear conversation. Like if you're thinking about gear at this time of year, you're thinking about what should I buy, what should I try out, uh, what should I maybe scrap from previous years because I'm just not happy with it. This is going to be a good show for you, so I hope you stick around and enjoy the show. Get ready to share your hunt this season with the Tacticam Solo Extreme Point of View Camera. Featuring one-touch operation, weatherproof housing, and mounts to fit any style of hunting, the Solo Extreme is sure to make filming your hunts foolproof and hassle-free. The Solo Extreme features up to 8x zoom image stabilization technology that takes the shock out of the shot and lets you capture crystal clear wide quad HD 60 frame per second footage. And you get all of this in a compact camera that weighs under 13 ounces. From now until August 31st, you can get the Solo Extreme and a stabilizer mount for just $149.99. And of course, you get free shipping with that. To learn more or pick up your Solo Extreme today, 
head over to Tacticam.com. Onyx Hunt is always striving to help make hunters more successful in the field each season. Onyx has just released a bunch of new features to help you on your next hunt. These features include new aerial imagery options like leaf off, recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back, and imagery on demand. On top of that, Onyx is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos right there in the app. You can try Onyx Hunt free for seven days or go to onyxmaps.com to learn more. Hunt in comfort this season with Camo from Huntworth. They make high-quality technical camo at a fraction of the price of other brands. My personal favorites for the early season include the Durham Lightweight Pants, which are rugged and durable with just the right amount of stretch where it counts, and the Shelton Midweight Quarter Zip Hoodie with built-in face mask. To make building out your kit simpler, their website now features their new system builder. This tool will help you grab the right camo no matter what season or species you're hunting. And right now, you can get 30% off with their preseason sale. Just use the code PRE30, that's capital P, capital R, capital E, and the number 30 at HuntworthGear.com. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast once again is my brother, Mr. Dan Johnson. Dan, welcome back. Hey, man. Good good to talk with you again, man. You too, buddy. Uh, how's your summer been rocking so far? Full bore, like nonstop. I'll be honest. I'm ready for the kids to go back to school (laughs) in a major way. Yeah. Like I feel like in the summertime, my productivity is down. My patience level is down. My, I like school is such an amazing thing because I can focus 100% on work, get all of it done. By the time they get off the bus, I can be super dad the rest of the night. But now with the kids home, it is stop and start, stop and start, stop and start. And then make sure the kids, you know, I got to feed them lunch and I got to, you know, Hey, can I go over to Joe, you know, Billy Joe's house and I got to take them over somewhere and I'm a chauffeur and all that stuff. And, uh, and so I'm ready for, I'm ready for school to start. Yeah, man, that's, uh, that's, uh, I, I love having my kids at home. I love summertime. Yeah. Really dig it. Yeah. The, the whole issue of trying to work from home with kids, I feel like I get more done in four hours without them here than I do in eight or 10 hours with them here because yeah. of that stop yeah. and start and all the fragmentation. So, um, man, summer times are usually pretty busy for you. And I know one of the things that you focus a lot on, uh, at least you did last year, was banking those brownie points for for your oh, yeah. fall man so how's how how's the brownie point bank looking we uh we looking pretty strong or are you you're a little low there <laughs> well you always hope it you're looking strong in the back brownie point area <laughs> like i dude you know you never really know if you're right. doing it right or not right because it takes it takes just one bad day to have everything come crashing down um, but for the most part, you know, I've, we've done vacations, uh, I've done house projects, uh, you know, I've taken care of the kids, uh, you know, and, and all that stuff. And so I hope it's, I hope it's enough. If it's not enough, well, tough shit, I guess. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what to say. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Dan, I, th- I thought what we could talk about today, we're heading into the season. We're sitting here, you know, about the middle of August, um, and you host a show on our network called the Hunting Gear Podcast. Not only do yep. you host the Hunting Gear Podcast, but you've also just been in the game for a long time. Like, when did you, when did you first start dipping your toe in the outdoor industry? 2006, I believe it was, when I when I was first introduced to it and started working in it. Okay, so we're talking a 17-year stretch at this point. Jesus. <laughs> did, I just, did I just rock your that's, world a little bit? Sorry. That's, that's crazy that yeah. it's been that long. I mean, it, it, yeah, now that you say it, it, uh, it just makes it seem, I don't know. I don't know, man. That's crazy. That's a long time, <laughs> dude. You you have uh, you have people who have who have gone from not being a twinkle in their dad's eye yet to uh, right, fully right. functional hunting on their own on public land, bow hunters. Uh, exactly. In the time that you have been, <laughs> you've got you've got grown men uh, who who are who are younger than your outdoor career at this point. So, uh, man, that's pretty good. But you know, part of that is you know with the hunting gear podcast, you get to talk to a lot of different people but also a lot of different companies so you kind of get right. you kind of get both sides you get the end user uh which is going to give you one picture and then you get the companies which you know they're going to give you the marketing picture for for better or yep. worse it's just the way the industry works right it's the way every industry right. works uh but you also have just an absolute pile of stuff like i've heard you say before mm-hmm. like i can't hold any more hunting gear like i just can't right. I, I can't take any more i'm tapped out with, without getting rid of some stuff so um I thought we'd just kick off a conversation heading into this early season to talk about gear, but as context for the kind of gear that maybe you're going to be using and focusing on this year, I want to get a quick overview of what your season is going to look like because I think you're probably doing a couple things that maybe the average dude isn't going to be getting out to do. Yeah, um, you know, obviously every environment calls for different gear and equipment. Um, whether you're elk hunting or whether you're or sitting in a tree stand, you know, and even if you're sitting in a tree stand or a saddle in Maine versus Florida or the South versus, you know, the warm South versus the cool North. I mean, it's all like, especially clothing, that's going to, that's or, or clothing and boots and things like that. It's all going to uh, be based off the environment that you're in. So, you know, I go out west every year. Uh, I've started to go in this mid, mid second, third week in October to go try to chase mule deer out west in the in the Great Plains somewhere. And uh, I really love that time of year. It can be anywhere from 29. I think the one year I went, it was like 29 degrees at night. And then during the day, it got like a couple days, it got a high of 60. And then a couple days, it got like to a high of 90. Jeez. And so it can really, it can really swing either way out there. It's always windy. So you got to be prepared for that. I, I have knock on wood, I haven't uh, ran it into too much rain. But, you know, the gear that I'm using out west, there are some specifics that I change out. But there's also some that I, I really like in both the Western environment and the, the, the whitetail in a tree hunting environment as well. So there's crossover. Right. Right. And you're, you're kind of a, one of the things I appreciate about you is you're kind of a no nonsense dude. 
and and you're not, and I may be wrong on this, but my impression of you has been that you're not just a tinkerer for no reason. You're not just going to like try to get the newest gadget and be like running through yeah. all the the newest gear just because it was new for that year kind of thing. So I, I trust right. your methods to be pretty tried and true. When you're heading out west, what are some of those like essential pieces that um, maybe you've acquired just in the last couple of years or maybe some things that you've got your eye on for this year? Yeah, when it comes when it comes to the west, I'll tell you right now, uh, just like, I mean, I just mean hunting in general. For me, the number one, the number one product that a guy has to have dialed in is his boots. And, and, I, and I'll go a step further and I will say his sock boot combo. Um, because if you're just wearing a pair of cotton socks on a hot hike, your feet are going to get wet and then you're going to, you're going to generate blisters or, you know, it's, you're just going to be uncomfortable. And so for me, it's all about a really good boot and a really good sock. And, and when you're not thinking about your feet, then you're thinking about deer hunting. Um, or you're not thinking about how hot or cold you are, you are, and you're somewhat comfortable. Um, you really can focus on the hunting and, and that's why, that's why we all do it. But I would say that, out west compared to let's just use packs for example it, in my opinion a pack out west has carries way more weight uh, literally and figuratively than a a, a whitetail pack right right um you're usually usually i'm not saying this for everybody but usually you're not going to quarter up your whitetail in on the east side of the country and and pack it out you, you usually drag it out or you have you and your buddy take a four wheeler or whatever the case may be. I would say that's, that's typical. Do people quarter out and, and, and basically do a Western uh, style pack out for whitetails on the East side of the country? Of course they do, but out West you're carrying water, a lot more water. I find myself carrying a lot more water. It's necessary, especially if you're going to be moving around all, all day. Um, and so the boots are important. The socks are important. The, the combination of that, and then the, the packs, I, the pack out West, um, and then just a, a binoculars, like a really good pair of optics. I would say those are the three things that I would say are, are make or break products that the, the gear would actually influence how the hunt goes. Right. Right. I want to, I want to touch on that, that boot piece there, because, uh, as a whitetail guy, I have, you know, obviously I'm not doing, I'm not hiking in 10 miles for elk. Right. Um, right. One thing though, that I've decided is that rubber boots suck and I hate them real bad for the most part. Right. Um, and, but, but here's, here's the thing. I would rather whine about my boots every year than buy a good pair of boots that's, that's just kind of kind of where I've been. So talk me through, like, what are what are some of your go-tos when you're going out west? Because I'm sure, you know, there's going to be some carryover into the whitetail world if you're not, you know, slogging through knee-deep water. Yeah, I mean, uh, rubber boots obviously have their place, sure. right? I mean, for, for wet conditions, if you're a guy who's, who hunts a lot of marshes or swamps, I, like I, the rubber boots are probably a necessity in the South. You're from Georgia, right? Right. You, right. You, it can be wet. It can be slimy. Um, whenever I have to cross, uh, like 
a, a marsh or a swamp or uh, a creek crossing, you know, I, I plan accordingly, but usually I'm trying to find a way to my tree stands without having to get my feet wet. Um, and luckily in Iowa, the, the places that I hunt don't require that out West, a pair of rubber boots and the amount of miles that I put on in a single day is it, it just isn't, a, it's not an option. Right. Rubber boots out West. It's just not an option. They are, you know, I'm sure there's brands out there that are comfortable and could be hiked in, but they, you know, not only do rubber boots keep moisture out, they also keep moisture in. So by the end of the day, you're basically putting your feet in a sauna and your feet are going to get wet. I don't care what type of sock you have. They're going to get wet. If they're, you're going to get hot, you're going to get uncomfortable. And it's just, it's not for me, it's not an option. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are you wearing as far as boots? Do you have a pair that you're willing to, to say, this is a, this is a good brand, oh, yeah. or a good line people should yeah, check out? Yeah. So I currently have a pair of crispy Thors and those I've had for five years now. I think I'm actually going to go finally buy a new pair. Um, they've like for after five years, they've kind of lost their, uh, a little bit of their waterproofing. They're broken. Perfect. Um, the insoles, I could probably replace the insoles and get away with a couple more years out of them, to be honest, but they've, uh, every year I power wash them. I let them dry. And then I apply another, coating of uh, waterproofing spray to them. And, but I think uh, they've, they've finally reached their limit and it's time to buy a new pair. So, but I, I, I really like the crispies because I've never had a blister in them. I've never, uh, they fit, they fit really well um, to my style, uh, like my feet. Uh, I've had, man, they, it's almost like they come broken in a way to where you, I think, and that's what they, one thing they're known for is being hunt ready without having to break, really break them in, hunt or hike ready without having to break them in. So uh, that's another reason I really like them, but they've just performed to, you know, I'm sure there's other boots out there that do the same thing, but for me, they've performed. They're at a, a, an okay price point for what I'm looking for. I think I bought mine for like 350 ish or 320 or something like that. Okay. And, and so some may say that's a little on the higher end, but I've had them for five years and I've never had a blister out of it, out of them. So that's worth something. Yeah, man. I think that, you know, one, they haven't given you a headache. So, you know, mm -hmm. haven't given you blisters or had any issues out of them. But when you're talking 70 bucks a year, like you, dude, I spend that on cheap rubber boots uh, yep. around here. So that that's pretty good. What about, what about socks? Like I have gotten to wear, um, I do all uninsulated boots, even, even hunting in Wisconsin when it's cold out because yep. either rubber, my feet are just hot all the time. Anyway, I, I don't mm -hmm. struggle with cold feet unless my feet get wet. So I just moved totally away from insulated boots and have just relied mm -hmm. heavily on socks these last couple of years. I'm either, you know, I'm going to either have a, a lightweight sock on or try to boost that up a little bit. Do you have a specific kind? Because I've tried some wool, I've tried some th synthetic and I think I've landed where I like it, but, but do you have any other recommendations? Yeah, I would say, uh, wool, obviously, uh, we have darn tough socks. We have, um, uh, what's man, there's actually a company name that has the word wool in it. 
um, it's a hiking sock. Oh, it's, is that it's the marketed. It's like Mara wool or something like that. Smart, smart, smart wool. Smart wool. Okay. All right. Yep. Smart wool works. Uh, and then there, uh, and those would be, those would be my like darn tough. I'll just say darn tough is my, my mid and lightweight sock option. But, uh, now they just came out with a, uh, a couple of new, dude, there's a, there's a, a brand called Altera spelled like this, uh, A L T E R A Altera. Th- they are an alpaca sock and alpaca actually performs better than wool does. And so, uh, usually a, they, they, in the past they've made a thicker sock. And so that is my go-to rut, you know, late October, the rut, uh, it's a heavier sock. I put it in my crispy boot and, uh, just man, very comfortable, the very functional. And so that is, so it's when it's warm, it's usually a darn tough, uh, but now Altera makes uh, thinner, lighter weight socks as well. So I think I'm just going to be rocking Altera from here on out, um, unless something else comes along, but, um, yeah, cold, cold weather is a, is one of the thicker sock options. And then if it's really cold, then I'll put my feet in a, uh, Arctic shield boot cover. And so I'm, I'm actually putting that layer on in the tree stand and that, that keeps my feet nice and toasty throughout an entire day. Right. It, was that you that I've talked to before about the Arctic shield covers where you're like, dude, I've got a set from forever ago that I can't like, I don't even know if they make this kind anymore. Um, I don't think that's, I don't think that was me. I I've bought, I think I bought mine five years ago. I've I've been, I've kind of permanently ditched the rubber boots about five years ago and just strictly went to the hiking boot with the boot covers. The cool thing about that is that, yeah, I'm just more sure footed in a, you know, in a pair of hiking boots, as opposed to like, you know, a lot of guys wear the alpha burly pros from lacrosse just a huge boot, I mean, yep. a giant boot with a ton of insulation. And if you're a mobile hunter and you're walk, you're trying to climb up a tree stand with like four inch, you know, four inch steps or something like that, man, it's not easy to do, especially if you're trying to sit there in a saddle or if you're trying to, uh, you know, a, a small platform to tree stand, it's just, I don't know. It's just not for me. Yeah, man, that's that's where I've landed too. Like even in situations where my feet might get just a little bit wet on the way in, those hikers mm-hmm. just change everything, especially like you're saying if you're mobile and you're going to be standing on your platform on your, you know, your saddle platform, let's say for hours on end, got the freaking rubber boots just make it make it miserable. I'd rather get up there and take my boots off. You know, then then, oh, have yeah. to, then have to rock the the rubber boots all day. Uh, I want to yep. switch over to the to talking about glass because I'm sure your glass is different when you're hunting out west and you're hunting out east, uh, or when when you're back home in Iowa. Uh, I think glass is, I don't know. I think there's a segment of people who are just like I never use it for whitetails. I just don't even worry about it because I don't need it. And then there's a segment mm-hmm. that like glasses every little flicker that they see in the in the whitetail woods. But I know you're a yep. big fan of your Vortex glass. So let's talk mm-hmm. about maybe what you're using out west as compared to what you're going to use on a typical rut hunt in Iowa. So out west, um, you know, my obviously I, I use something a little bit different out west than I do uh, in, in the, the whitetail woods. But 
like I'll just start with like spotting scopes out West. When I elk hunt, I don't bring a spotter because I usually am hunting dark timber and I'm wanting, I'll shoot any elk that walks by. So I'm not necessarily looking, you know, needing to glass up an elk and count his points and see what his score is. Uh, So that doesn't matter to me. Now you change that to the Western Plains where there's way less trees and you can see forever, then I bring a spotting scope. And that allows me to look basically a long distance, say, is there a buck in the, in the mix of these deer? And then that tells me whether I need to go in, you know, go chase them or not. If it's just a whole bunch of does, then I don't want to go chase them. I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for some kind of buck. Uh, and then I'm also bringing a, a pair of binoculars that has a little bit more uh, magnification than I, you know, than I would in the whitetail woods. And, and so typically my whitetail setup is uh, I'm in, I, I very rarely am in an area that I am going to just be glassing all day. Uh, for me, when I'm in the, the whitetail, when I'm in it, hanging in a tree, I am, I'm, I'm basically just looking at movement that I've seen with my own eyes. Right. right? So I'm not, I'm not just sitting there glassing all day long. I I'm glassing at movement. So if I see something, I'm like, okay, what is that? What is that thing? And so, um, that's one, one of that. And so like, uh, uh, this, I think my binocular, my vortex binoculars, I want to say I have a razor HD for the West and then I have the new, triumph hd for the whitetail woods and then i have a razor uh spotting scope a a razor hd spotting scope as well for for the west right right i think one thing that and i i did it this year with my with my uh vortex binos um i also i i grabbed a a diamondback spotting scope this year uh for turkey hunting because i do a lot of Mm -hmm. like you know, big ag country kind of glassing and stuff for turkey scouting. Um, but one thing I was kind of blown away by because I've never tried it before is it just a set of binos on a tripod. Like, oh yeah, you throw a set of binos on a tripod, it changes everything. Yeah, if you're trying to, yeah, do I, I, I have, I have never done that. But whenever I do glass with my binos, uh, especially out west, I'm laying back. And I got my elbows in tight and I like, I'm, I'm in a really tight position to where there's not a lot, like I'm, I'm using myself as the tripod. Right. I hear a lot of guys, you know, I, I've heard a lot of guys talk about how binos on a tripod are great, but, uh, I've, you know, it's just one of those things where even if you have a, a quick connect, it still is an extra thing you have to do to put your spotting scope on and then take your spotting scope off and put the binos on or something like that. So usually if I'm rocking a spotting scope, I just leave it attached right to the tripod and um, uh, that's how I do it. Yeah. Rocking that. All right. Let's switch over to the whitetail world. Then Um, you're heading out. When are you heading West this year? Is it going to be that second week of October again? second or third week i don't have it 100 percent scheduled i'm basically just going to go when i feel the weather's the best all right and that's going to be your annual uh muley hunt turn whitetail hunt is that is that what yeah, we're doing muley <laughs> slash whitetail hunt yep for sure okay all right so when you're when you're back home then in the whitetail woods your hunting is primarily focused around the rut i mean you're a family guy um yep. you know i have found myself in the last couple of years our kids are getting older nine seven and five now 
and I just have less times to make strikes in the woods. So mm. I have almost, not totally, but I have almost abandoned the early season game. Um, yeah. And it's just a time thing, right? Like I can stack mm. my time at home then, and then I can take two weeks in November when I am all whitetail focused. I don't have any responsibilities at home, and I'm really, um, really, really dialed in, right? And that's when right. most of your hunting is focused as well as those first two weeks of of November. So there's a specific time frame there that we're thinking about when it comes to weather and temperatures and conditions, but it can also be super variable. What are some of the mm-hmm. top, I guess, gear pieces that maybe you're trying out this year that are going to uh, either make you more effective or maybe ones that are just tried and true that are just your standbys for your yearly whitetail hunts? Yeah, man. So anything like merino base layers i mean so a merino my merino base layers and i have a a variety of them it's not just one brand specifically uh my merino base layers are the foundation of my layering system period and that uh and, and so that can trans over uh translate over to my socks as well right and so really the the base layer is the starting point and then from there it, it, it's just, is it hot outside? Then I'll wear these pants. Is it cold outside? Then I'll wear these pants uh, or this layering option. Uh, and so usually, it, you know, I'm, if I'm going to go out east, you know, if I'm here in Iowa or if I'm going to, let's say, Wisconsin or Minnesota and it's cold that time of year, then I'm going to be really like walking to the tree and just my base layers, uh, climb up and, you know, set up, climb up in the tree. And if I'm, if I'm dripping sweat that I know that Merino wool is going to, going to, you know, do the, do its job and dry me off fairly quickly. Right. Um, you know, in the past, man, I, I don't understand why it took me so long and maybe it was because I didn't have any experience in the West. I feel like Western hunters, backpackers, hikers, they were, you know, they were keen to the Merino game long before the whitetail hunters were. Right. And so, but you know, the, the functionality is there for the whitetail hunter. I mean, I don't know how many times I, I've ended up sweating my balls off walking to the tree stand in like, you know, 25, 30 degree weather, and then just being soaking wet and cold all the rest of the hunt. Uh, because I was in, in cotton or a cotton hooded sweatshirt and, or I tried to walk to the stand with too much clothing on. And, you know, and, and now I, I basically get dressed at the bottom of the tree stand and let the Merino do its job. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, 
Tacticam.com and share your hunt with Tacticam. How are you keeping, like, because I've switched over, so I've used Merino for a number of years. Last year, I switched over to a synthetic um, base layer system from Huntworth, and yep. it, it performed basically as well as Merino. Um, I think, mm-hmm. you know, as far as, as uh, keeping me warm, drying out quickly, that kind of thing. The one yep. issue that I have run into because I, I'm like you, I'm trying to get dressed at the base of the tree. I might have a two mile, mile and a mile and three quarter kind of hike in to some of these public land spots because I love spots where no bikes are allowed, no cars are allowed. You're walking in from the access. That's all you can do. I feel like yep. it's easier to get away from the pressure that way when I when I focus on those areas. So I'm getting dressed there, but man, I get there and my base layers a lot of times are just covered in junk. Like, have you found yeah. have you found a solution for this yet, or am I just destined to continue to have to get back in the evenings and pick stuff out of my camo? Yeah, that is that's. I mean, they have they have uh, products for that. It's like a glove that you put on, and you can wipe down all that, and it's supposed to transfer that to the glove, and then you should, like you can rinse it out or whatever the case may be. But for me. I know that if I'm going into certain spots, walking through CRP fields, and usually those uh, those cockaburs and that beggar's lice, that's all on f- like the edge of timber and CRP or timber and field or grass or whatever. And so I try to avoid those places, but ultimately, you, like you got to go to where the best access route is. And so for me, um, I'm wearing like denim. I'm wearing right. uh, like uh, some kind of dicky or some kind of Carhartt pants, you know, or you know what I mean? It's right. not those brands specifically, but that type of material. And that picks up way less uh, uh, thorns and it's durable. I mean, you walk into a thorn bush and it, you know, it just breaks the thorn. It doesn't make it in through the, the pants. Uh, some of the stuff that I, uh, there's one brand in spe- uh, specifically that I wear a lot. It's called Arbor Wear. Okay. And it's it's made for uh, Arborist. It's a brand that's marketed, but it's that thick material. And so I use that to avoid the pickup. And then usually it's from, you know, it's from the waist down if I do pick it up. And that material all you got to do is just like do this a couple times and it just kind of rolls off the pants. Um, it, it's not perfect, but it's better than, you know, let's say like a fleece yeah, per se. Right. Exactly. And I've been yeah. thinking about just grabbing, you know, some kind of material like that. That's, you know, a non-insulated piece that I just wear kind of as an outer layer on the way in, I can get to my stand, take it off and then layer up, you know, with my camo or whatever after that, but just to avoid right. some of that, some of the issues, because I've had it before where, you know, my arms have beggar's life. Beggar's life is the big one for, for me, especially hunting yep. in Wisconsin. You get just covered in the stuff. Then mm-hmm. you want to put your layers on, and now it's all inside of whatever. And a lot of the yep. stuff that I like to wear is, sh- like, lined with Sherpa lease or a grid fleece. Uh, yep. So Sherpa fleece or a grid fleece. And, dude, once it's in there, like. Game over. Game, yeah, game over. I mean, it, it, it and it changes your comfort level for the entire day because it mm-hmm. just, that stuff will just sit in there and poke you and be miserable. Yeah, man, I bought a pair of, and this is where I, this is ultimately where I learned my lesson of what I need versus, you know, what I want versus what I actually need. I, I spent the money. I bought a pair of uh, Sitka fleece pants 
and uh, a matching top I th- or it was a matching vest. I can't remember either way. I spent the, I spent Sitka money and those pants haven't been touched in three years. I actually, I think I cleaned them up and sold them like for dirt cheap because they are, yeah, they're great in the stand, but getting to the stand and leaving the stand are ultimately what is the most important, right? Cause you can spend all day in a stand, but if you're taking a, a weak access route, then it, it doesn't matter anyway. Right. And so, and so, that's ultimately where I was like, Jesus, man, I just spent this much money on a pair of pants that I'm not even using anymore. And so that's where I kind of, my Merino wool base layer does most of the work. And then the workhorse, as far as below the waist is the, is the, the denim heavy duty pants. Now they're not breathable. They do not dry quickly, uh, but they are, they are perfect for, where like through the brush and thorns that I walk through every, every day. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people may have the impression that uh, Dan Johnson's in Iowa. So he's hunting some kind of manicured ground or something like that. But man, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're doing a little brush busting when you get out there. You're not, you're not walking down carefully groomed access trails. Yeah. I don't have the money for, for that kind of property, uh, that property stuff that these guys are doing. Yeah, man. I, I was looking at some properties in Iowa the other day and I found a piece that you can buy for us here on the network, uh, that okay. we can all share and hunt. It was like 80 acres or something like that. So, uh, I figure me and you just get prime time and the rest of the people can just come in for late season. Yeah. 80 acres for what, what like a million dollars, you know, what they're asking for honestly, it. <laughs> it was, it was not in a prime part of Iowa. And I think it okay. was listed at 5,500 an acre. So okay. it was that's, one of those. That, that's cheap for it, these days. Right. And it, it was one of those properties that you're like, okay, this, that could be a legitimate option at some point whenever Papa Dan buys us a piece. So <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta, I just gotta start selling more advertising, man. That's right. That's right. Just gotta, just gotta get on it. Um, man, let's talk a little bit now about your, your mobile system. You've been mobile hunting for, for kind of a long time, at least before it was cool. I think we could say that. Um, and I know you're, you're a big fan of the, is it the Novix tree stands now that you're using? Uh, yeah. but you've also kind of gotten into the saddle game a little bit. So walk me through some of that. Yeah, I'm really excited this year, uh, to start hunting out of a saddle more. Um, I mean, usually what happens is when I start seeing a trend, I don't follow it because, um, you know, it's just that a trend, but talking to guys that I actually really respect, um, and not necessarily in the hunting industry, but more in the hunting community who are, who are very successful. They are, they're not only successful, but they are doing, they, they're, the way they hunt is relatable to the way I hunt. And so when I hear guys like that, talk about, you know, a saddle, I want to try it. I want to try a saddle. And so I, I have all the equipment this year. I tested it out. Uh, for a handful of hunts last year, but this year I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into it. I think last year I kept falling back to tree stands because I had everything set up from, right. from the previous year. This year I don't as much other than, uh, so what I did is I took down some of my tree stands, but I left the sticks up. So I'm really looking forward to not only being mobile and not having to carry a full-blown tree stand on my back, 
and just, you know, climbing up, leaning back and getting ready to go. And I also think that for me, I am not an all day sitter anyway. Like I, I just cannot sit all day. And I think that a saddle is perfect for that. Like it's perfect for the guy who only wants to go out and sit. You know, some guys will say their saddles are comfortable and, but I got bad knees. I got a bad back. I, 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 I personally don't know because I don't have the experience in sitting in a saddle for multiple, like long periods of time. I think the most I sat in a saddle at one time was three and a half hours, one for one, one day. And, and so, I mean that in a, in a period of a four day little trip I took to Southern Iowa, uh, I, I hunted out of a saddle. I didn't kill anything, but I was just kind of bouncing around in one. And so, it, it would be perfect for me who I don't hunt all day. I hunt mornings uh, and then I hunt evenings and then I'll move or I'll leave and then come back or whatever the, whatever the case may be, that's what I'm doing. And so I'm really looking forward to trying out. It's uh, what is it now? Uh, the, the tethered lockdown. It's got, right. it's the one with the pockets on the side of it. Right. And I think that's going to be perfect for me. So I don't have to attach anything else to the saddle. They're just kind of built in. And uh, that's perfect for like my, uh, my bow holders, my screw in steps, my screw in boat, like uh, pack hangers and things like that. Anything that I'm going to screw into the tree or my grunt tube or things like that, that's going to be the, uh, my go-to saddle for this year. And I think, the only thing that I really have to figure out is layering in a saddle. Right. Like that's the only thing I got to figure out is, is what do I need to do to be comfortable? And if it gets too cold, how do I add on a layer uh, while I'm in a saddle without having to get down? Um, how do I, you know, how do I uh, take a layer off? If my, you know, am I just going to unzip and air? out or if I'm going to actually have to take an entire jacket off or whatever the case may be, I, I got to learn, I'm going to learn that I'm going to mess around with that this year. And then hopefully by the end of this year, I'll, I'll I will have figured out a system and uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. That, that tethered lockdown saddle, I got to put my hands on it and sit in one at uh, at ATA this year. And I think they're onto something with those zipper pockets because the dump, the traditional mm-hmm. dump style pouches, on the side of a mm-hmm. saddle that just kind of flop around all over the place. Those they've always kind of been the headache of, of saddle hunting for me, at least like I I've, yeah. I've been hunting out of a saddle, I think since 2018, 2017, something like that. It was, it was before tethered came out and launched. Um, and yeah, those dump pouches have been a pain ever since, but those sort of fixed position zipper pouches, I think are going to kind of revolutionize that game. Uh, you mentioned there, you know, holding, you, you know, if you're a bow, bow holder and all that stuff getting stuck in there. So let's talk about your archery equipment now this year. Uh, did you get a new bow this year or did you stick with what you had? I'm going to back up just a sec. I want to finish. I want to finish a point here oh, yeah. uh, for my mobile setup, though. Sure. Um, the saddle is going to be the saddle. So the, the reason I like, like, okay, so I work with tethered, right? And the reason I like working with tethered is because they're not uh, a brand that is like you, you know, if you're going to be a mobile hunter, it has to be a saddle hunter. You right. have to be in a saddle, right? These guys, I like their, their, the way they do it because they're saying our saddle is a tool 
for a mobile in a mobile hunter hunter's arsenal. Right. Okay. Right. And so I really like, I really like that thought process where it's not tree stands versus saddles. It's tools hunters can use. Right. So don't get me wrong. There's going to be a couple times where I'm going to be in a, in a tree stand this year in, in like a, a, a historically, uh, historically good rut funnel, uh, maybe a, a, a staging area, an area that I know throughout the years have produced. I'll, I'll be, you know, I got stands already in, I got like for my main farm, it's 480 acres and it, I have three tree stands already on it that I don't even take down anymore because they produce throughout the year at some point. Right. The rest, let's say if I catch a, if I catch a deer moving on the next ridge over, that's where the saddle comes into play. Right. Or if I need to bounce around and go look for something, that's where the saddle, when I go on my out of state trips, like I'm looking at Wisconsin and I'm looking at uh, Minnesota this year, just because of how close they are across the river, across the border, hop in a tree. That is going to be my go-to. My saddle is going to be that. Uh, but after that, you know, it's like the, the, they have, like everything has a purpose. And so I feel like if I'm going to sit all day, I, like I said, I haven't done it yet and I don't like to do it, but if I'm going to, I feel like maybe uh, a tree stand might be a little bit more comfortable for me as opposed to a saddle, but there's only one way to figure that out. And that's to spend more time in a saddle. Right. Yeah. And I mean, for, for those who maybe don't know, I learned this year, uh, Dan Johnson is a much bigger man than I knew him to be. Uh, when I, when I got to actually sort of meet you in person there, it's like, okay, this is a, this is a tall dude, uh, with broad shoulders. Yeah. Like there, that's a lot of, that's a lot of man hanging in a saddle up there. Uh, yeah. so, you know, comfort level wise, whether or not that's, uh, where you want to be. And especially on a smaller saddle platform or something like that. Um, you know, I can get the appeal to, right. uh, you know, stick to some, some tree stands. One of the things that I've loved about saddle hunting is I feel the freedom when I'm in a saddle to get to where I need to be and decide, you know what, there are no, there's not a tree I want to be in. I really want to be in the ground th- on the ground, 30 yards away from the tree line. And I feel yeah. the freedom to do that. When I lug in a stand on my back, I feel the obligation. Cause I'm like, I, I drug all this crap in here. Like I, mm-hmm. I, this thing needs to be, you know, in a tree, but if I've got a saddle on, I feel just as comfortable saying, you know what, there's not a tree that I want to get into. I think my shot opportunities are better if I'm on the ground then I can, right. I feel real comfortable just throwing my platform and sticks next to me and, you know, popping a squat while keeping my saddle on, as opposed to feeling like I need to get, you know, in a tree that's going to be less likely for, for the shot that I'm looking for. Absolutely. Um, are you ground hunting at all? Or are you, are you still, are, are you kind of, you know, I mean, it's situational to where you hunt and I know you hunt on the ground out West. Uh, but mm-hmm. when you're there in Iowa, are you going to be sticking to trees? Or are you, are you exploring the ground game? Yeah, I, 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 this is the kind of hunter that I am. I will hunt wherever and whenever I need to, depending on what I see. So if I'm observing uh, deer moving in a certain area and I'll just use last year, late season, for example, last year, late season, I caught a whole bunch of deer movement leading out of a block of timber into the neighbor's into the neighbor's, uh, food source. There was no trees in between where they were bedding. And, uh, for me to get in there, if I was to get in there, they would have seen me a uh, spooked. So I 
I looped back around this, uh, this big ridge that runs the length of the property, got into a fence row where I was like five yards off the fence line. And, and I, I, I cut a branch down on a pine tree and it sagged down and I didn't cut it all the way off. I just cut it to where it would sag down to right. onto the ground. And, and it, I created like a little blind out of that. And, and I gave my shot myself shot opportunity, uh, uh, shot opportunity there. So I am the kind of guy who I will, I will go wherever and do whatever in order to get the job done. If that's in the tree, great. If that's from the ground, uh, I'm not afraid to do it. Right. Didn't you, you killed an archery buck two years ago from the ground. Am I right? Was that out West? No, that was, uh, well, I don't know if it was 2020. It's either 2020 or 2021. I can't remember. It was one of the COVID years. I shot a deer in, I shot a deer in South Dakota, a whitetail in South Dakota from the ground. I was sitting in a fence line. And then I also, that year, I think it was 2020. Yeah, it's 2020. Uh, I ended up going, I was walking to my tree stand and there was a buck in this little ditch raking a tree. And so I shot him on the ground too, but I wasn't set up on the ground. I just was walking to my tree stand. I saw him and then I made a move on him and then I shot him. Yeah. I think, I I think I remember hearing that story. Um, I think you did an episode on that one. That was a, that's a good one, man. You you can't beat shooting a buck on your, on your way to the stand in in an afternoon or something like that. But uh, all right, let's talk archery for just a little bit. Uh, yep. did you get a new bow this year? Or are you sticking with the tried and true? Yeah, I went, um, three years ago, I got a prime or excuse me. I got a Bowtech solution and I really like that bow. Uh, the, the thing that I really like about it is that I finally have a bow that fits my actual draw length. So for years I shot a 29 inch draw, uh, and I went to a boat, uh, like a bow shop, and I was asking this guy, "Hey, can I shoot? You know, let me shoot some bows. I want to. I'm looking for a new one." And he goes, "What's your draw length?" I said, "29." And he watched me, and he's like, "Dude, you're coming up short every time. You need you need a longer draw length." And so I I, I went to a 30, and I felt way more comfortable. Like my back or my chest was way opened up, and I was feeling good at full draw. If I, you know, I. I at full draw, I felt like I wasn't trying to yank, like hold so hard. I was actually letting, now that I have a 30 inch drum, I'm letting the let off do a lot of the work. Right. Right. And so, and so I moved to a 30 and I found the, that, you know, I shot, I don't know how many brands, I think I shot five brands, five or six brands and ultimately chose the Bowtech solution. And so I've shot it for the past three years now. And so this year I got a, so I said, do I want to buy a bow or do I want to get new strings? And so I got new strings, kept the same bow and, uh, just had, had it run through, it took it to a bow, uh, a bow shop and they did the, uh, cam, uh, cam timing. They did, uh, the, you know, made sure that my peep site was in the right spot and all that stuff. And so it shoots really, really well now. Nice. The only change that I've made in my setup is this year. 
it's kind of funny. This year I'm going to a thumb release as opposed to a wrist release. Okay. And the reason that I'm switching is because I can't find my wrist release. And I have, I had a thumb release sitting on my filing cabinet over here. And I, and so I was like, eh, let's just give it a try. So I went in uh, and, and then got my peep sight moved, my kisser button moved. And now um, I'm, I'm shooting really well uh, at, at, you know, up to 60 yards and six, 60 yards is my max. I'm, I'm not going, I'm not trying to, you know, shoot a hundred or anything like that. That's, that's my max. That's kind of what I told myself. Hey, you know, even out West, like 60 yards, if you want the boat, the perfect bow hunting experience, 60 yards seems to be the max for me as far as yardage is concerned. Right. Right. Man, that releases can make so much of a difference. I've always, I've always shot cheaper end releases right and when i say cheaper end i mean anything less than 100 bucks uh Mm -hmm. i went into my local shop here last week um got my bow kind of worked on a bit previous guy that set up the bow um the bow tech walked me through a lot of things that were wrong on it including you know spacers were you know missized so they were actually different sizes from the top cam to the bottom cam and there were all kinds of problems but he had me shooting mm-hmm. this release, and I was like, man, I, I really like that release. Can I buy one of these? He was like, yeah, sure. And he, he handed me a package with that release in it, and it was $450. Jeez. Dan Johnson, I didn't even know they ha- they made releases that were $450. Uh, yeah, they I, do. That's for sure. Lee smokes. I mean, changed the game, and I walked out of there not buying that release because I value my mm-hmm. life and my marriage. Uh, <laughs> so, like... I mean, I, I just graduated from the time of like buying bows that were four hundred and fifty dollars, you know, right. much less right. a release that was four hundred and fifty bucks. And um, yeah, but man, they can make a they can definitely make a huge difference. Uh, last thing I want to talk to you about just a little bit uh, is your broadhead selection. Um, you know, there's been a lot going on in the last three or four years as far as broadheads go. I have shot all over the range, you know, as far as you know, going for a, a big, huge mechanical back down to a smaller mechanical, big, you know, 200 grain, 250 grain, even single bevels up front coming back now to fix or uh, to, to expandable broadheads. Where have you landed specifically for whitetails? Cause I feel like there's a, there's kind of a push even still out there that says you need to be shooting, you know, a 200 grain broadhead up front if you want to kill a whitetail. Man, it's all, it's all about what you want to do. I wouldn't like a lot of guys are like, Hey man, you you gotta, you gotta do what the ranch fairy is telling you, right? You gotta do that. You gotta do it. You gotta have a thousand grains on the front or whatever, you know, you gotta have a 600 grain arrow. You gotta do it. You don't. Right. Um, however, I feel, and this is my opinion and I am not a John Dudley you know, I am not a Levi Morgan. I'm not a guy who can dissect a prop, like look at a problem, dissect it and say your arrow setup and your broadhead setup is the reason that you didn't kill this deer. I, I, I can't, I can't do it. Right. I don't have that kind of experience, but what I will say for in my experiences, it's less about FOC and more about total arrow weight, right. evenly distributed across the whole arrow. And so for me, I'm just saying for me that I would rather have an arrow. Like, so right now my total arrow weight is 400 
or no, excuse me, 524 total grains. Uh, uh, and, and so that's pretty heavy compared to what I was shooting in like the, the low 400s. Okay. Because I, uh, I, I remember going, jumping up and then jumping up again, uh, like in a, in a big way. And so, and so when it comes to out West, if I'm, let's say I'm going to go on an elk hunt, an elk is a bigger animal. It, you need to have more penetration and I'm going to shoot a fixed blade broadhead in that scenario. I'm going to shoot a fixed blade broadhead and I'm going to try to get as much penetration as I possibly can. And then when I go back to Iowa, I'm going to shoot that same setup because I don't want to change my, like and retune a bow right before the season starts. I right. want everything ready. Usually and right now I'm going to be hunting mule deer, a smaller animal compared to an elk. And, and at 60 yards with, uh, you know, 400, excuse me, 524 uh, uh, grains total arrow weight with a mechanical broadhead, I feel like I, and I'm shooting a, a wasp three-blade jackhammer. Uh, uh, and I forget if I'm shooting 120 or 125. I can't remember. But either way, I'm shooting uh, – a, a mechanical that obviously has energy loss when it expands in, in the cavity, but I'm, I may not get a pass through at 60 yards out West, but I know for a fact, if it's inside 30 yards and I hit him and I hit him in the ribs or I hit him in, you know, the lungs, heart, even through the guts, I'm getting a tremendous wound channel and more than likely going to be getting a pass through with that arrow weight at my draw and at that distance, because when I'm, when I'm hunting Iowa, there, I don't even give myself an opportunity at a 40 yard shot. It's right. all it's, I'm in so tight. It's usually a, a 30 or under very rarely. Is it even 30? I'd say most of my shots are 20, 20 or in. Right. Right. That's the, I'm in a very similar boat as you. I think our, my total uh, arrow weight this year is like 500 and 516 grains or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, which puts me where I want to be as far as a little bit of higher FOC, but not ungodly. I'm at like 16 or 17 percent FOC or something like that. You know, I'm not getting up into the 19, 20, 21 percent FOC. Um, but what's I keep, your what's what broadhead are you using? So. I've got uh, what I've been using. I used it last year and was very, very happy with the Grim Reaper broadheads. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Very, very happy. Those do damage. Man, yeah. they, they do damage, and they're tough. They're just, as far mm -hmm. as, you know, expandable heads go, they're tough heads. You get them back, the blades aren't all bent up and that kind of thing, which I've experienced with some uh, – some other era, other broadhead brands. Let's let's say that I've also got some um, some single bevels and some double double bevels from uh, VPA um, this year that I'm I'm trying out. They shoot really really well. Uh, getting them you know sharp for the season. We'll we'll see how that goes. I hate sharpening broadheads. Like that's one of yeah. the reasons I keep coming I don't, back. I don't, I don't do it. It's I a pain, it. dude. It's such yeah. a pain. It's such a pain. I want them to come out of the box just razor hair popping sharp and and be able to go from there rather than feeling like i needed to, to to doctor them up a lot um you know if i don't have a ton of time to hunt you better believe i don't have a ton of time to sit around and sharpen broadheads at night you know yeah. when i could be doing something else so yeah, i treat i treat broadheads as uh 
uh, a disposable product pretty much. Right. I'm, I'm using them. I'm using them once. If it's a clean pat, let's just say this. If I, if I shoot a buck and I toast him and it goes through soft tissue, like maybe it hits a, a rib, but it hits lung tissue or a heart and it passes through. I might, I'll look at it. I might clean it up. I might keep it on. And if I, you know, I'm going after a doe, then next I'll do, and I know I'm going to have a 20 yard shot. I'm keeping that same broadhead on. I'll just use it again. I'm not going to try to resharpen it. I'll just right. use it again. Right. And at that distance, the blade can be dull, but it's still doing, I mean, it's still going to do a ton of damage. And if, if the product is made good enough, it shouldn't need to be sharpened after it goes through just one animal. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I totally agree, man. Cause that's, um, yeah, I, I can't, I can't get on the bandwagon of, of wanting to, to sharpen them. I mean, a lot of guys talk about touching up their broadheads every time they go out, you know, whether mm-hmm. they shot something or not. It's like, I'm glad you had time for that. Like I, I barely had yeah. time to eat breakfast, you know, this morning. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't know that I'm going to do that whole, that whole game, but uh, well, Dan, man, we got a lot of cool stuff going on on the network. Why don't, before we, uh, before we hop off here, you kind of just give us a quick rundown of what's going on with uh, Sportsman's Empire this time of year and what folks can expect. Man, I'm not going to sit here and, and waste people's time. All I'm going to do is just say, hey, listen, you got you, you got to go check out the Sportsman's Empire and our, our lineup of podcasts. It is, and I'm, and I'm obviously I'm biased here, but I will put the content that the network puts out, the Sportsman's Empire puts out, I will put it up against any podcast in the outdoor industry or in the outdoor space. I will. That's how confident I am that you will be not only entertained, but educated on the content. And it's just fun, man. We got a right. group of uh, hosts that are just studs. And I, I really like the lineup that we have. On top of that, uh, I we got a, a little bit of a rebrand going because although this is the Wisconsin uh, sportsman, you live in Georgia, right? And there's some cool there's some cool things that are going to be happening there. Yeah, we've got some uh, we've got some exciting things coming down the pipe. We're going to be adding a co-host here pretty soon. Uh, I think a name that folks will will recognize and and be aware of already. So that's good. It's going to be a flawless transition there. And then yeah, we're gonna we're gonna you know pop up some new content where I can kind of focus a little bit more here in the South. I mean. I've made, since I've been in Wisconsin, you know, four or five trips back and, uh, you know, to keep the content relevant on the ground there. Uh, but eventually, man, those 15 hour drives get a little, get a little daunting. So, uh, yeah, we've got some big changes coming up. How, <clears throat> how about old, uh, old Mitch from PA coming on strong, uh, with Pennsylvania oh, Woodsman. He's been yeah, killing it. Kill, a- absolutely killing it. killing it. Killing it. Yeah. Doing yeah. a fantastic job. So, uh, yeah, folks, if you uh, are not subscribed already to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network, you need to go check it out. Got a lot of good shows, including this one, How to Hunt Deer. We got Nine Figure Chronicles, Hunting Gear Podcast. Uh, we've got you know guys from Missouri, Oklahoma, Michigan, wherever you are, there's relevant content for you. So, uh, Dan, I yep. appreciate you coming on the show today, man. And, uh, hey, good luck this season. Hey, same to you, man. I look forward to talking with you and giving you an update. 
That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.